I've got uh, lots to say today, but I want you to know that before we start, I've got two themes that one's going to be building on top of the other. And so the first one's going to be something that we've been trying to do <clears throat> here in the church to, to get biblically grounded so we understand, one, how to read the Bible and how to understand not just the Bible, but to understand the author. And so our focus is listening to the Bible in such a way that we're not just educated Christians, but that we're transformed human beings. And as we do so, that, that foundation of the scripture, you'll hear in the background as I talk about the second thing that Paul is trying to deal with to help people in Ephesus, a city, a pagan city of 2,000 years, uh, a Gentile city, to help them learn how to bring their life in line with the scripture. So those are, <clears throat> those are going to be the two bookends I'm going to speak from. But as I do so, <clears throat> as I clear my throat, Excuse me. We are in the middle <clears throat> of going through this book of Ephesians. And so if you're here for the first time and you can sit back and relax. But you're jumping, the, in, jumping into the middle of a, of a series that we've been going through for about a year. And the theme of that series is God wants to restore and integrate your heart. God wants to redeem and change everything about fallen humanity to erase the curse and reestablish the blessing. So I'm not going to go into all that we've been doing, but we're right in the middle of this idea that God has called his people. We talked last week about we are to walk. And when you walk with somebody, you're walking in agreement. You're moving in a certain direction. And that's where we want to follow Christ because Christ said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. But the, the idea that faith is a relationship where you walk with Christ. And so as we get into this topic, into the situation 2,000 years ago, I wanted to transport you back. So you're going to buckle your seatbelts and we're going to go over some distance. We're going to go back to Italy first. Because you may know this uh, city, you may know a little bit about the story of Pompeii and the volcano of Vesuvius that erupted and covered everybody in 20 feet of ashes. The whole city was just decimated. And there was a man named uh, Edward Hutton. Uh, Edward Hutton was an English author and he wrote the finest travel books of anybody and he was awarded the highest civilian award from the Italian uh, government the Commendatore of the Order of the Merit of the Republic. And so they asked Edward, when he began to study Italy, and uh, thinking about life back then, when people were under all those ashes, and thinking about what life must have been like back then, and what it was today, he had this comment. He said, <clears throat> he said uh, back then, uh, everybody in Turkey and in Italy and the Mediterranean were travelers because life was about moving, following, but they were travelers. But today it's the land of the a tripper. It's the land of the tourist. People go in and they just kind of look at things as they were, but they really don't understand how things were. 
it's possible for a modern person to be so enamored as you would go through a museum and look at things as historical objects and never really enter into the realities that took place way back then. Well, that's an interesting little story because as you go into the city of Pompeii, and it may seem kind of crazy, we're taking a roundabout tour, but that city has been uncovered and all what you find left are a lot of uh, artifacts and a lot of columns. Now that's important for some reason. I'll show you why. But he said people don't understand what they see. They just see a column and they leave it there. Now come forward 2,000 years. And I want to take you to another mountain, not Vesuvius, but I'm going to take you to another mountain. And this mountain is in northern Japan where I lived. I was there for 15 years. This is the city of Aizu Wakamatsu. And the reason why I think about this is because of you guys. Uh, you guys are the American uh, equivalent of what I'm about to tell you in the Japanese. They weren't called Boy Scouts. They were called Byakutai. The Byakutai were the samurais. Uh, the kids, the Byakutai were the samurai kids. The young men who would grow up with very much similar values that you would have in your oath, that they would be trustworthy, that the Byakotai would be loyal, they would be helpful to the samurai, they were friendly, they were courteous, they were educated, they were kind, they were obedient, they were cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent, and more, and more, because they would follow the way of the Bushido samurai. And no one had more respect on earth than the Bushido Samurai. You represent some of that, some of those values as our young generation holds to a moral compass, a sense of rightness, a sense of contribution to our society. Therefore, you become a model in one sense, at one level, of what goodness and righteousness and morality is all about. So were the Biakotai. The Biakotai... Uh, defended the castle of Surugajo. This is this castle of the swan. So here's your bird from last week. They would think in terms of grace and beauty. And the Byakotai as the ninjas were soldiers of respect and grace. They studied poetry. They were sensitive. They were an unusual group of people. But the Byakotai and the samurai of Aizu Wakamatsu the home of the last samurai. They were fighters till the end. And it, often, often, I would go to the castle. And I'd walk around the grounds of the castle. And every year, I even participated as a biakotai. I dressed up and I, I wore the biakotai suit. And I did a lot of the biakotai uh, martial arts for a while. But every year they have this reenactment of the Byakotai, the fighting white tigers. And the reason why they are so historic, and people don't know about them unless you or happen to be in that area 2,000 or not, just a couple hundred years ago when they started to, to honor these in the parades. What they found was this story of the Byakotai, it, it's famous throughout Japan. Because the Byakotai represent the people who would not surrender 
to the national government. They were the holdout of the last uh, emperor, uh, of the the emperor when he tried to unify the country. The Biakotai said, no way. We would rather die first than compromise. And so they did. When that, when that final, when that Biakotai looked out, he saw the castle was on fire, that they'd given up all hope. Those 19 Biakotai soldiers, they committed harakiri. And they gutted themselves with only one witness because you have to do it just right. If you screamed or were in pain, it didn't count. So silently, each one would take their lives because they were committed to the core, so much so that they erected this shrine there on Imoriyama, right there on the mountain. And when you go to the Shinto shrine, what you do is you grab that big rope and you pull down the rope to wake up the gods to say, pay attention, can I get your attention? Bang! And they would hit that, the bell Not in this one, there's no bell here, but they would pull the rope. And you can't see inside because it's a very dark place. But I put another picture. What they did is, if you you can't see that very well, but there are 19 little statues of each of the Biakotai guys. These were the Boy Scouts of Japan. Now, what's that got to do with Vesuvius in Italy? It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Here it comes. Because 2,000 years ago, when they had that uh, volcanic ash, they took one of those pillars of Italy, and they took the pillar and they moved it to the Biakotai Mountain in Imoriyama. And you'll see that pillar is from Pompeii. And they put that pillar up to represent the honor of the Biakotai. This came from Mussolini. And Mussolini and another man represented, we will fight to the death. Adolf Hitler sent a monument to honor the Biakotai. What they were honoring was a fascism, a nationalism, a purity that you will die for your convictions at all costs. And therefore, the idea that there's countries who will reinforce values to say at the core of your values what we really honor is purity of race which there's another pot of coffee behind this but pride of one's race may or may not imply contempt for another race and therefore when you go into history what you see is that there are cultures that are clashing. Political systems, national systems, armies, and therefore we've been talking about the core values of culture in the last couple of weeks. Well, I'm going to move us into the idea that when you understand that you can go through history and read history, you can see, but you may not see, you may not understand the same way as you go into the Bible 2,000 years ago, this is an old book. And you think, well, that's what they did back then. But you may go in as a tourist and just kind of see things. Or you may go in and try to enter into that world to understand what God was doing back in that culture and why that is important for our culture today.
And here's the point, and this is the first point, this is the takeaway, that if you are going into cultural wars, if you're going to go cross-culture and have a mixing of values, you really need to have a grounding in the scriptures. And yet, and yet these Ephesian Christians had no idea who Christ was. They had no idea the background of the 2,000 years of Judaism before it hit Ephesus. And so Paul has a job to do. Paul has got to, to bring this horizon of the Old Testament into the current situation in Ephesus to help, to help the Ephesian Christians understand what God is doing in this point in time to help them change. But if you're going to go into change and cultural tension and, and you've got to not just be a museum watcher, you've got to go into and do some work. <clears throat> so that's what we've been doing for the last several months. So we get into Ephesians, and Paul clearly makes this contrast, does he not? He says, uh, you understand that if you were part of this cultural pagan system of the Ephesian religion, Paul says, I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer according to your past. You walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. They have no conception in the mental persuasion that the pagans had about life. It, it was a futile way of living. But Paul says they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And so Paul is saying they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now this is what we talked about last week. Sexual immorality, impurity, and greed were endemic to that culture. And therefore, Paul had to address it because this is not the imitation of Christ. And you did not learn Christ that way. So Paul is trying to say to these guys, if the culture is going to affect the way you think about your sexuality, if culture is going to affect the way you think about your ethics, if culture is going to affect the way you think about your money and how you live your life, then you're going to be part of the dark world or you're going to have to be changed to come into the new world. So that's what we talked about last week. With these core words, these concepts that we're dealing with uh, from this book, Words in the Mind, I mentioned that. But there are certain words that have certain values and meanings that if you're just kind of a tourist and reading through the scripture, you're going to miss. You're really going to miss uh, the, the really depth of the good news of Christ. And therefore, what Paul, what we ended with last week was, if you follow the ways of the world, you are going to have an inappropriate sexuality. This is lust. And lust is not love. And therefore, Paul would say, if you understand what goes on in the human heart, there is an insatiable search for some kind of satisfaction that brings pleasure. And that's going to be, again, a self-indulgent, which is what the pagans would do. They would give themselves over to sensuality. 
And then this thing of greed. What was reinforced there was that the, the Ephesians were so self-indulgent. They wanted to pre be preoccupied with what personal gain they could get and forget other people. And the last thing was when they would talk to people, they were so insensitive. And it was through their speech that they put people down. Joking, coarse jesting, rude, mocking. They would make fun of others. This was the flesh. This was the way they lived in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Bring that forward and go to Washington. Because you see that again reflected. Because humankind hasn't changed throughout all history. So, so you understand that when you go to these cultural wars, you've got to be grounded at least. This is what Paul is saying. And so right in the middle of this, he's saying... You, as Christians, you were called to walk in a manner worthy of the God who called you. Walk in imitation of this Father who is a glorious Father of light. He's a glorious Father of love. And if you're going to walk with me in agreement with me, there's going to be a stamp and a distinctive about who you are that's going to be reflective about who he is. And so last week, we were talking about walking in love. And I won't go there. But this week I want to talk about one thing. It's about this walking in light. But he's going to be walking, walking in the direction with a motion and a movement, with a goal and a destiny that Christians are to experience love. Christians are to experience life. Christians are to experience wisdom. Christians are to walk with the influence of the Spirit. Christians are going to experience and walk in deference to honoring other people in relationships and then you're going to walk in a battle where you need strength. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the Ephesians, which is very relevant to what we need to this day. But we're going to go right to number two. We're going to walk in light. And as we talk about, Paul says, as you walk in light, you're called to walk in light. Uh, he's making this contrast in the book of Ephesians. And the contrast is clear. There are two cultures. There are sons of, dis there are sons of obedience. And there are sons who are of disobedience. And so in the sons of obedience. You find that there are sons who follow the father. They follow the son. They follow the spirit. And following this God, kingdom, grace, truth, model. The worship that they have towards God affects who they are as people. There was a Greek general that said, who was trying to figure out the armies, and the Greek general was finding out about the enemy, and he said to the, uh, to the lieutenant who came to him, he said, show me who they worship, and I will show you the strength of their army. Show me their gods, and I'll show you their men. Because what you worship is at the core going to define who you are. And therefore, if you're following the, the spirit of this world, if you're going to follow the spirit of this culture, this culture spirit will define you, will shape you, will give you the language that you talk about. But so Paul is saying, understand that there are two different kinds of people in the scriptures. It says that there are those who are children of God. And if you are children of God and you're walking in the, in the gospel of Christ, then you have this inheritance because of the gospel. You have access to the full family of God because you are a son and you are not a slave. You belong, you fit into this family. 
and you have this inheritance. But he makes this point, if you if you're walking according to this way and you're going to be immoral and you're going to be impure and you're going to be greedy, know that the issue is not your sexuality and it's not your ethic and it's not your morality. It's the idolatry. Your worship is an entirely distinct direction away from the one who's called you into glory and delight. And so he says, if you have these as part of your thinking, Make sure you understand you are in a different culture. So Paul is radically making this distinction. And therefore, he says, there are those who are illuminated because as children, you walk as children of light because God is light. And if you walk in illumination, you worship Christ. If you walk in following the light, then you will imitate the light And as you understand how Christ has been revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in an other-centered love, which is at the core of what we understand happens when you're saved. You come out of a self-centeredness to another centered kind of lifestyle. But if you're not following that, you're going to be following a different kind of light. And he says, if you're going to follow the imposters. These are fake, false, deceptive, deluded. You're not going to inherit the kingdom because you're not a son and you're not a daughter. You will be an imposter. Now, be, be careful with this because he's talking about worshiping idols, worshiping another God, worshiping a God of your own creation, worshiping a God of your own faith. And a lot of people have faith, but... Today, it's faith in the God that you think you believe in. And they have faith in faith, not in the faith in the God of faith. And there's a radical difference. Easy to get confused. And therefore, a lot of people are still self-centered at the core with a religious veneer. If you are illuminated, then you think a certain way. If you're an imposter, you're thinking another way. And therefore, I raise to you the question. The question is, is it possible Is it possible to be so deluded that what you think is right could really be wrong? And the answer is sure. Sure. That bad is so good. That right is so wrong. Can you be deluded? The answer is sure. And so Paul did not want the Ephesian Christians to be mistaken. And therefore he says, you know this with certainty with clarity and conviction that no immoral person or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater will inherit, has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Two cultures, one coming in to influence another and one trying to resist that influence. Now that's a big word called syncretism. And syncretism means when one culture tries to blend in with another culture so as to distort and reduce the distinctive so that everybody becomes one. When you have that syncretism, you mix and you dilute and you become weaker and you become more confused. This happens all over. And therefore, when Paul is saying to these Ephesians, uh, he says, 
Let no one be deceived with empty words. Therefore, if you're going to be open to any kind of philosophy, you've got to be aware of the fact that the spirit of the world is trying to delude you, lead you, deceive you, train you, think about things. And so Paul says, therefore, if you are understanding who you are, rooted and grounded in Christ, the call for those who walk in light is this. He says, do not be partners with them. NIV, the New American Standard says, do not be partakers with them. Now this is an interesting word. He says, if you're going to be involved with the world, you've got to learn how not to be influenced by the world so that your world, the world influences is changing who you think you are. Now that's the war that's going on side. The idea of partner, the idea of partaker comes from this word in the Greek. You can't see that because it's too dark. Symetokos, which means sharer or partner. And this idea of the, the, the symetokos has to do with symmetry. That what was one side is also on the other side. And therefore, Paul says, who you link with and who you run with will become who influences you. And therefore, Paul says, you don't want to run with these people who are so different in ideology and worship and in their idolatry. And therefore, therefore you can't see this. <laughs> therefore, he says, so I say to you that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles walk, not in darkness. But if you're going to walk with people, you've got to walk with people who have the same values or thinking as you do. And this idea that if there's symmetry, if there's agreement, if there's unity, there's going to be beauty, there's going to be strength, there's going to be a distinctive at the core. This is who you are. If you are in light and you walk with people in light, you're going to enjoy light. But if you walk in light and you mix darkness in there, you're going to reduce that quality of life. And therefore, the Bible is very clear. Be careful of who you yoke yourself with. Because if you yoke yourself with darkness, if you give yourself to sin, you don't have the imitation of Christ. You don't walk in light. You walk in a different kind of frame of mind than Christ had. And therefore, when you bring in something that's unequally yoked, these values will put tension. And so it's very clear in scriptures, we are not to be yoked with a different kind. This yoking... You get it up there? Uh, again, you leave behind the darkness and you walk, you walk in fellowship, in partnership, sharing with what God's given to us as people of light. And therefore, it takes a lot of thinking. Not as a tourist looking, oh yeah, look at that. Look. It really takes a lot of thought to say, huh, I want to be joined to Christ. I don't want to be unequally yoked. And I got a couple of pictures here of some, some, this was, I think, in China. Or maybe it was India. You see a donkey with a cow. Or in the Mediterranean, you will sometimes see a camel. With a cow. These beasts don't go together because the ox and the, and the camel, they, they don't, 
It doesn't fit. There's no symmetry there. And therefore, Jesus said it this way. You can't serve two masters. You can't please everybody. You're going to love one and hate the other. Or you're going to despise one. And therefore, there's going to be a tension in the heart of who you worship and how you live your life. Now, this also comes to play. Paul says, therefore, don't be partakers with them. For you were once formerly darkness. Now, here's the, here's the kicker. You are coming from a culture of the flesh. You are coming from a culture that's self-centered. And you know what that darkness is like. And therefore, as you move into this, you think about how God deals with the dark side of the human heart. And so the question, what does it mean to walk in light? It means that if you understand the symmetry of the gospel, you also share in the fact that we all have fallen short. And you share in the fact that God's grace is open to all. What does it mean to walk in light? It means that one, everything about you is seen. It means that what is seen is covered in grace. And therefore, we do not lie, but we walk in the light. And John says, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, you would expect this fellowship to be right this way. But he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship this way. And that we could be honestly, truthfully, with integrity, we are all messed up. We all need grace. And therefore, our unity is back in the cross. And therefore, when Paul says, you're called to walk in the light, and to do that when you have cultures trying to influence you, recognize you just need to get right back to Christ. But Christ says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to, to forgive us and to cleanse us from all the stuff inside. And then he moves us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Well, let me stop there because we're going to move in. That's what we're moving into. How do you change somebody who's dark and addicted to somebody who's, who's light? How do you change foolishness and futility into wisdom? That's what we're going to look at next week. And as you do so, you're going to find that the Christian experience is going to be a clashing of your heart with a clashing of the gospel until you re- realize that God's got everything you want. Let's close with this and and we'll continue next week. Let's pray. Father, you know you know how our history has affected us. You know how our culture has affected us. And you know the war that's inside that sometimes we walk in light and sometimes we walk in darkness. That as we want to be people who are good at the core, We simply need your spirit to really educate us and take us to that transformation spot where we walk in light. Now, Father, we worship you for that. We do pray for wisdom, and we ask that you would protect us and and give us this uh, wisdom from above. We pray these things for your glory and our growth. In Jesus we pray, amen.